Welcome to the Achieve Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Feldman, and each month we explore the research, strategies, successes, and even the failures behind some of today's best fundraising and marketing for causes. As we explore each one of these, we'd like to invite different types of guests that will explore their own unique takes on what really works today and will leave us a little intrigued on what they're working on for the future. This podcast is supported in partnership with the Festival of Children Foundation. This month, we are talking with Dr. Una Asali, who's the Director of Research at the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. She's an internationally recognized expert on philanthropy who speaks around the world about how and why people do what they do in giving and philanthropy overall. Previous to this, she was the Interim Director of Research and has been there since 2009. She also serves on the Committee of the Women's Philanthropy Institute, a member of the Research Committee for the Lake Family Institute of Faith and Giving, and she leads the school's extensive research programs with Bank of America, United Way Worldwide, and many, many more. We're excited today to welcome Dr. Una Asali to our program. Dr. Asali, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm, I'm excited because uh, uh, you have been doing some incredible work at the School of Philanthropy, and I must tell everybody who is listening, I do have a connection to the school. I former, I, obviously I'm a graduate of the school, met my wife in there, and as, as Jean Temple used to say, you know, you owe us a little bit. Uh, as well. <laughs> so. Excellent. Fabulous. Yeah. Well, Dr. Osley, tell me a little, for those that may not know you, um, uh, why don't you give us a little bit of background? Tell me a little bit about you. How did you become, you know, working in research at the School of Philanthropy and all these exciting projects? Well, it's a bit of a long story, so I'll have to make it brief. I started my uh, professional work in philanthropy as a graduate student. But I would say my interest in philanthropy goes back even longer. I grew up in Nigeria and West Africa. My mother is American. My father is Nigerian. And with both of them, they're both educators, uh, both college professors. And each showed from a very, I would say, early on in life, modeled philanthropy and talked about it in many different ways. My father is a very generous person. He helped educate a lot of his uh, extended family, sent them to school, sent them to both uh, elementary school, secondary school, and paid for their even university education. So I had that example growing up, and my mother got us involved in many different causes as children, including performing at a, a citizen, senior citizen's home. We would go there for all the major holidays to dance and to sing and uh, entertain uh, these senior citizens who otherwise would not have anyone visiting them during a special family occasions. So I have those early memories. And then fast forward the tape as a graduate student, uh, my dissertation dealt with immigrants in the U.S. and looked at their financial behavior. Interesting. Yes. Yeah, so very clearly it was um, kind of, I would say, a bit of a discovery process because I saw that many of these immigrants were participating in tremendous ways, both in institutions here in the U.S., but also with their institutions back in their home countries. What was also interesting is that there was a lot of generosity taking place, but perhaps more informally in terms of helping friends, helping neighbors, and uh, allow, uh, I would say, kind of a broad, a tapestry, all kinds of different ways of demonstrating generosity. I think right there I learned that uh, the ways that we were studying 
philanthropy, generosity, whatever terms you use, were somehow inadequate to really measure the complexity of what was taking place. So that was very intriguing to me as a graduate student. My degrees in economics. And those of you who've studied economics know that tends to be very data driven. So how do you take this behavior that's very complex, that covers both the formal, but also the informal uh, ways of helping and, and being generous? And how do you take that and model that and measure it and take it from kind of descriptive to quantitative uh, measures? And so that was a bit of a challenge. But that was my first immersion really in research in this field. And I would say it's, it was a lot of fun working on my dissertation. I'm one of those people that loved working on my thesis and thoroughly enjoyed it, but also walked away with some very powerful lessons that we need to broaden the lens of generosity to include the formal ways of giving where people give to nonprofit organizations or volunteer with organizations, but also better understand the relationships and the informal ways that people connect with friends, with neighbors, with family members, and with their communities, whether those are geographically based or span oceans and continents. And so I think there's a really exciting opportunity even now where philanthropies, um, I would say, changing very rapidly, complex as well. And there's another moment today where we can use the tools that we've developed to shed light on this very complex but global phenomena of uh, philanthropy and generosity. Absolutely. You know, it's always interesting. Somebody will ask me and say, well, you know, how do we get, uh, say, a millennial to give or do this? I'm like, well, you know, there's a lot of things that go into it other than just saying give. You know, there's leverage and personality and communication and and education and someone's background or even the modeling of behavior that, that you had as you were growing up. I mean, there's it's a complex environment. So I'm sure from an economist standpoint, it's a very interesting take. Dr. Osley, tell me, for those that may not know about the School of Philanthropy, you've got you to do a plug, please. What is the School of Philanthropy? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thanks for that opportunity to do a plug. One of the things that I always say is that I have one of the best jobs in the world because right here at the Lilly Family School, this is the world's first school on philanthropy. Uh, within Indiana University, it's very much a startup because it was inaugurated formally in 2013, but builds on a nearly 30-year history as a center on philanthropy. As the center, uh, the, the center at the time developed the first academic degrees in philanthropy, ranging from a master's degree to a doctoral program in philanthropic studies. But we also have a bachelor's degree, which is the newest addition to our suite of degree programs, as well as an executive master's program that allows people to study at a distance and still um, learn about the programs here, but they can do that while working and spending time with their families so they don't have to relocate physically to participate in that. The um, School of Philanthropy is also home to some of the foremost projects in the philanthropic sector as far as mapping how much is given in the U.S., where all that funding goes to. And so we become a treasure trove of data resources on philanthropy, both for the U.S. and now globally as well. Obviously, giving USA and a couple of the other initiatives that you're working on, uh, including one which we'll talk about, which is Generosity for Life. But before we get there... You gotta uh, give me a sense. Is there anything bad about the job? Is there anything that isn't so great sometimes? I have to say there is really 
very little that I can even complain about with the job. Let's just take what we get to do. Uh, we get to work with some of the best and brightest students in the world who care about philanthropy. And there's so much energy and excitement. And every year it's new because we have a new group of graduate students and undergrads who are coming with new questions. So it's a very stimulating environment to work. We also have some of the leading scholars in the field in all types of disciplines, ranging from economics, sociology, religion, history, uh, both, I would say, uh, people in the humanities who are studying philanthropy to quantitative scholars and even get to interact with researchers in medicine at the business school, at the law school who have an interest in this field. So it's an interdisciplinary environment and very and uh, very stimulating environment because scholars and researchers are coming from many different perspectives. So I think the faculty and student dynamic keeps it very exciting. But what makes the school so unique, and I need to mention this before we move on to the next topic, is that unlike a lot of academic institutions, we've had a history where we've been very outward facing, very engaged with practitioners and nonprofit leaders. The school also has the fundraising school, which trains about 4,000 nonprofit leaders and fundraisers and ethical fundraising and leadership in the nonprofit sector. And so because of the work of the fundraising school, as well as the two institutes we have at the school, the Women's Philanthropy Institute and the Lake Institute on Faith and Giving, we are in many different conversations, dialogue and debate with scholars, practitioners, nonprofit leaders, and policymakers. And this allows us not just to ask the questions that perhaps as a researcher might be the most interesting, but also the ones that the field finds most relevant. And I think it's that interplay of students, scholars, but also engagement with the rest of the world that makes the school such a unique and exciting place to be right now. Absolutely. It's hard to find anything that is not a great about <laughs> working here. And so I just have to tell you that the um, as uh, when you first asked that question, I really had to think hard. And I would say the probably the only thing I could say is that there's so many new questions and exciting research projects that we could work on, but it's kind of making a decision and trying to prioritize and realizing that you ha can do everything. And perhaps in an ideal world, you would want to take on some of these challenges that are facing the sector and be able to address all of them. So it's having to essentially determine priorities and uh, work, work around those that may be a bit of a challenge from time to time. Well, good. Well, I thought you maybe even bring up that you didn't like the coffee in the break room, but that's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll let that go. Um, no. <laughs> it's not bad, right? No. So, so Dr. Rossley, you, you go out and speak a lot. And, and before we get to generosity for life, I have to ask this too. I am sure there's just a one constant question that you get as a researcher around philanthropy that no matter where you speak, it usually comes up. Is there, is there something that usually you're asked about philanthropy that is a common question that comes from the field? I guess it does depend on who you, uh, which audience you're talking to. I would say when I talk to non-researchers, people who don't work in this field or who aren't engaged in this field, one thing that they are very surprised about is the size of the philanthropic sector. Right. So when I first present information and provide the estimates that philanthropy is about $370 billion a year and makes up about 2% of GDP, now, the 
individuals in the field who've worked in the field for decades or even for a few years know that data point and are very familiar with those numbers. But for those outside the field, and especially internationally, there's a bit of a moment where there's kind of silence and people ask, did you say $370 billion or did you mean to say million? And <laughs> intuitively, a few people will raise hands and they'll kind of wonder, well, that's the size of several African countries put together. And I think that moment is often one where I'll just pause and try to um, take a few questions from the audience because I can see that they are really trying to grapple with this number and better understand it. And I think it has been uh, really enlightening for me to present this data around the world as part of the outreach we do to get individuals to talk about why is the philanthropic sector so large in the U.S.? What makes it so unique? What can other countries learn from what the experiences here in the U.S.? And also, what can we learn from the rest of the world as it relates to philanthropy and generosity? Yeah, and, and the field's growing, right? As we mentioned earlier, I mean, if the, the social good field, uh, impact investing, all of these different mechanisms and ways that historically may not have been present are now building that 370. Absolutely. And I would say in some parts of the world that transformation is taking place even more rapidly, mm -hmm. where, for example, impact investing has grown in per, per, probably more rapidly in the rest of the world than it's growing here in the U.S., in Asia, Latin America, Sub-Saharan Africa. There's also a widespread interest in social entrepreneurship and social enterprise. And so new models are developing that perhaps uh, we didn't even have several years ago. And I think it's an exciting time to be in the field. Yeah. When new technologies exist, we feed on that impulse to do good, which is always great as well. Well, let's talk about a project that I'm really interested in hearing about, and I know my audience will too. And it's it's been one of those that I, that you're close to launching, and so we're getting a, a kind of a, a nice little preview here. It's called Generosity for Life. So give me some background. What's What what really is behind the project, and, and why are you doing the project in general? Generosity for Life is a really intriguing project. Uh, one of the first things I did when I became a faculty member here at Indiana University was to attend a meeting about a new study that was going to be conducted and led by, at the time, the Center on Philanthropy now the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. And that was the very, for the very first time, there would be a longitudinal study of American families and their giving. Uh, this today is called the Philanthropy Panel Study. It covers nearly 10,000 American families. It's part of a much larger project called the Panel Study of Income Dynamics of American Families, which has been in existence now for about, uh, since the 1960s, since 1968. So what the a school has done is add a module that includes questions on giving and volunteering for a representative sample of American families, for everyday givers. So today we can tell the story of American philanthropy, not just at a single point in time, not just a snapshot of what that picture looks like, but truly to be able to see how it changes over the lifespan, how people's giving behavior changes when they change jobs, when they retire, when they have a life-changing event, whether that's ill health or some other type of setback, what happens to their giving. But we can also look at how their giving changes when favorable circumstances, whether that's uh, the birth of a child 
or the an inheritance or some other event that improves their life circumstances. So we're able to look at giving, but not just in isolation as part of a larger picture that includes how income, health, savings, and wealth change over the lifespan. So with this project, we have uh, spent a lot of time thinking about the data, but now we're also adding another component, which is a fully interactive website that will allow teachers, educators, parents, policymakers, nonprofit leaders to actually go into the website and extract the data that's most relevant to them, create their own data experience. And alongside that, we're developing data tools that will allow them to compare their own giving to other Americans like them and map what giving looks like in their own geographical areas, usually at the state level. Uh, I should note that this project was very generously supported by the John Templeton Foundation. And as part of the bigger project, we've also been working alongside um, a cohort of scholars, emerging scholars that are helping us better understand how generosity changes over the lifespan. So we're studying the giving behavior of young Americans, as well as Americans that are boomers and beyond. And we're looking at how economic factors sociological factors, but also social psychology shapes the giving experience. So putting all that together has been really exciting and working with this team of scholars from around the country in all different fields has also been interesting as well. Um, one last piece I'll just say about the website is that we have partnered with uh, some organizations alongside this project that are also developing tools for teachers so that teachers who want to introduce classroom modules on generosity will have some resources on the website as well as organizations that are collecting stories. We know that data is extremely important, but we also know that storytelling matters. And so we do have some partners that will provide uh, donor stories alongside the data to make it really come alive. That's great. Yeah, it, it, just similar to what we were talking about earlier is that looking at giving in the transaction in a vacuum without all of these other factors is, isn't a true story, right? This is about the behaviors and the social, the life cycle changes that donors go through to experience and, and or to enhance or decrease their giving over time. So I'm so glad that you're taking on this effort because I think it is crucial for people that are in the field as well as scholars, policymakers to understand how we can influence and increase that GDP from giving and how can we best really bring generosity more to life from a lot of individuals. Uh, so I have to ask you, you're about ready to launch the website. You have some probably some early findings. Can you share a few things that maybe surprised you a little bit? Right. So I think one big finding from the data over time is that two thirds of Americans give. So that is a striking number because it means that most American families are engaged in philanthropy in a way that we don't find with almost any other indicator. So as a society, there are a lot of measures that we can say make us truly American. Maybe it's voting, maybe it's volunteering, participating in advocacy, but giving seems to, I would say, um, essentially transcend a lot of the other divides that we have in society with such a large fraction of Americans participating in giving, which makes it a uniquely American trait. 
Now, for a long time, remember, we've been collecting this data since the early part of the um, decade, so since about 2000. We've seen that two-thirds be quite stable. In other words, it stayed relatively constant with two-thirds giving. We're starting to see a bit of a decline with that number, with fewer Americans giving, especially regularly. And so this suggests that uh, social and economic forces are shaping patterns of generosity in a way that we may not have fully understood in the past. As I said before the recession, two-thirds gave with the Great Recession and some of the other forces, including the role that uh, declining participation in religion and patterns of attendance may be also affecting the overall patterns of giving. Uh, in one of the things we've noticed is that giving to religious organizations has actually declined perhaps faster than giving to uh, organizations that are outside of religious congregations. So we fully understand how important it is to continue to track this overall number, but also to understand what it means for American society and to, alongside capturing this overall number, to understand how giving is changing. Derek, you mentioned crowdfunding impact investments. Alongside a lot of these new forms, we have things like Giving Tuesday. We also have charity walks and a number of new forces that are emerging in the philanthropic landscape. So it'll be important going forward, not just to study some of the established ways of giving, but also to understand these newer ways that Americans are engaging in in philanthropy and generosity. Yeah, and, and I, I suspect it's also changed the way that you that you're looking at how it's being reported, right? Because you know, for instance, uh, in the past, it's you know, have you given to nonprofit 501c3, you know, which are ta- is a tax code uh, identifier uh, as well. And now we're seeing people who say they're givers, and they might not be giving necessarily in that kind of entity. Are you seeing some of that as well? Right. I think that is a, a very big question that we're still starting to study, which is how Americans participating in these other ways of giving. And right now, I think the data suggests that more Americans are giving through these newer forms, but we're not quite sure if it's uh, at the point where we can really say uh, how much is being given, because as you know, uh, people have always given informally. It's just like today we can actually track and measure this more accurately. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, is there any key takeaways so far that you think we should look out for when it is released? Yes. Well, one other finding I would say that has been interesting to me and I think should be uh, of interest to a lot of your audience is that giving is something that transcends race and ethnicity. So one big finding from the research is that once we control for income, education, and wealth, we don't find a lot of racial and ethnic differences in giving. And that's also true for immigrants. Uh, When we control for income, education, and wealth, we don't find big differences between immigrants or second-generation households and third or higher generations. So what this means is that immigrants tend to adapt pretty rapidly to the charitable landscape here in the U.S., where we don't see as quick an adaptation is where it concerns volunteering. We still see gaps in terms of what fraction of immigrants volunteer, and that seems to uh, also persist over time, unlike charitable giving. So the message there, I think, for the nonprofit sector, for fundraisers, or even nonprofit leaders more broadly, is that philanthropy can be an important force for good, and that 
across ethnic racial lines, we do have an opportunity to engage all Americans in philanthropy. And we should not assume that particular groups because perhaps they're newcomers or they have not been in our communities as long, are not, uh, that we should not uh, involve them or engage them in philanthropy. I think this is something that does seem to resonate across all the various uh, racial and ethnic groups that we've studied. I would also add that where we do see some persistent differences are around gender. With our colleagues at the Women's Philanthropy Institute, we've had several reports uh, on, on the differences between men and women and how they approach philanthropy. And here we do see that women are more likely to give once we control for economic uh, variables, socio-demographic variables that women are more likely to participate. And they engage in different ways from their male counterparts, even holding all these background variables constant. And there, there's an enormous opportunity as well, because as women gain economic and financial uh, foothold in American society, there is also a challenge, a tremendous challenge, as well as an opportunity for nonprofits to engage women in new and interesting ways. So by presenting, we live in a, an increasingly diverse society as well as in our communities. And we also face, as you know, many challenges as a nation and ha knowing uh, a lot about our different um, demographic groups and how their philanthropy is changing over time can be powerful in designing and engaging opportunities for these different groups to give and to and volunteer and participate more fully. Yeah, what a, in a very timely discussion, given what's going on nationally as well around exactly. where we are. Absolutely. Yes. All right. So now you've intrigued everybody. So when is Generosity for Life going to be officially out and for the public? Wonderful question. We are planning a summer release. So that will either be late July or early August. And with the website launch, there'll be a lot of opportunity for all your listeners to provide feedback and, and to use the data tools that we'll be providing on the website. But more importantly, to help tell the story of American philanthropy on the website, you'll be able to share your own patterns of generosity with your friends, with your neighbors, uh, family members, and your social network. So we think that it will not just be learning, but also a social uh, information uh, challenge as well to tell the story of American philanthropy, to tell your family story, as well as uh, as a nation to really share more information about giving. That's great. Well, we'll make sure that everybody listening here uh, to the podcast and, and a part of the chief family and community will, will get uh, alert of when that comes out. Dr. Osley, thank you so much for all of the time and the expertise that you're putting into this project and the incredible work that you're doing at the School of Philanthropy. The field thanks you for sure. Well, thank you. It's been such a pleasure spending time with you today. And as, as I mentioned, I'm excited about the website launch. But more importantly, I'm excited that we are in a, at a point where philanthropy is changing, but we now have a host of new data tools and platforms that will allow us to better understand philanthropy, but ultimately to engage all of our community to participate and to help in making the world a, a better place for today, but also for our children and their children as well. Absolutely. Understanding the why is always important as we build the what uh, and how do we increase it. So thank you. Thank you very much. And thanks for being one of our very uh, 
I would say rock star alums <laughs> and continue your great work as well. Audience, trust me, I didn't pay her to do that and say that. <laughs> well, thank you so much, and we'll look forward to seeing more from and the launch of Generosity for Life this summer uh, in 2017. Dr. Asali is the head of research at the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. We're excited about Generosity for Life and we'll look forward to keeping you informed when it comes out this summer in 2017. Well, thanks so much for joining us on this edition of the Achieve Podcast. We look forward to next month where we'll be helping you as marketers and fundraisers raise the public support, awareness, and adoption for the important work you do. 